This is Dubai Eye 103.8. You're listening to Lunch with Lloyd. Hi guys, welcome along to this podcast. My name's Mark Lloyd from the show Lunch with Lloyd on Dubai Eye 103.8. On the show this week, we looked at the latest Hollywood releases and what we need to be watching over the weekend and even spoke to the dog whisperer. Bollywood was in the mix with Sneha Mae Francis and we checked out the brunches across town with AJ from Mr. and Mrs. Brunch. And we also, as it was Malaysia Day focused on Malaysian cuisine with the Jade Restaurant. Enjoy! And don't forget to join me live on the show weekdays from 11 o'clock only on Dubai Eye 103.8. This is Dubai Eye 103.8. You're listening to Lunch with Lloyd. Yeah, very good morning to each and every one of you. Thanks for your messages coming along. It's all about the movies though next. Of course, uh, news uh, breaking that um, The Bodyguard is going to get itself a remake. Um, of course, Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner in the original. It grows more than $400 million across the world. Let's get reaction from William Mullally, our movie critic. A remake of The Bodyguard? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't think anything can top the original. Because how can you top everything about that? Like their chemistry, the song. Yeah. Like that really, the soundtrack, I think, had much more of a legacy than the, than the actual movie. But the movie itself, I think, really holds up it's rewatched great over the years. So I think it's just a timeless story, though, that I think that you can really bring something to it and really lean on a new generation of actors in order to imbue it with new life. Almost like A Star is Born, really, isn't it? I mean, that's, um, you know, has been remade several times and always seems to go down really well every time it comes out. Yeah, you can always capture something new, I think, about you know, where we are now, the nature of, you know, celebrity now. But really, I, I think... There's something that Whitney and Kevin had that nothing will ever be touched. And, you know, yeah. Star is Born, I think, has always been able to find something new. So you can't ever try to do what they were doing. Yeah, uh, uh, personally, I would leave it alone. But anyway, uh, moving on um, to uh, what we've got this week. I think we're going to start with The Walking Dead, um, William. What have you been up to here? So The Walking Dead is currently airing its final season. Um, it's been going for 11 seasons now. And I, I think really become a cultural institution in a lot of ways. You know, I think we had lots of zombie movies for decades before, but The Walking Dead, I think, took over culture in a way that we'd never really seen before for the horror genre. Yeah. And I think at its peak, it was being watched by like 20 million people per episode, which is insane <laughs> um, in this day and age, just for, for a TV show to, to be able to garner that sort of response. And, you know, I, I think we've seen a number of, you know, actors whose careers have been made by that. It's and I, I think no bigger than Norman Reedus, um, who plays Daryl, who's just a tremendous actor. And going back to, you know, like the Duck Saints, for example. But I, I think The Walking Dead, he was never like, so The Walking Dead was based on a comic book by Robert Kirkman. And really, I think that his character wasn't even in that comic. And so he was just this added character. Um, and you didn't really think anything was going to happen with him. And then he slowly became the breakout character of the show and really the heart of the show in a lot of ways, and he's gone on to do some amazing stuff. Um, I, I think not least of which was Death Stranding um, with Hideo Kojima, just really tremendous um, video game that really, I think, pushed the barriers of what video games could even be and the way Hideo Kojima has always done. So Norman Reedus, I think, one of the coolest dudes around. But for him, I think, saying goodbye to this show, because I talked to him when he was down in Atlanta as they're fi- filming the final episodes, I think it's a big thing for him emotionally because the show has meant so much to him on a personal level. So that saying goodbye to it is really saying goodbye to a part of your life in a way that most jobs really aren't. And so I think 
we had a really heartfelt conversation about what this means to him. Um, and it's been you know, he really such a told big me. part of my life for so long, you know, and, you know, I live in Georgia almost year round. I go back home to New York when I have vacations here. So it's, it's been a big part of me. The, the friendships I've made on the show with the crew, with some of the cast, with some of the directors, the writers, producers, everybody. Um, you know, I still talk to Steven all the time. I still talk to John Burnt all the time. I talk to Andy all the time. Uh, Denai. I've, I've made like lifelong friends. So it's, it's not only weird for me to let go of as a job, it's also weird for me to let go as a lifestyle. To say it's been life-changing is, is an understatement. So I'm trying really not to think about the last day coming up. I know there's going to be a lot of tears, probably all from me. Um, and I know it's going to come really quick, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's still a lot that we're filming here. We still have, you know, we're not even halfway done with this season yet. So there's still all of that. Um, so I'm just kind of trying to focus on what we have ahead of us and trying not to look at, at that last month, but you know, I know it's going to go boom. You can yeah. feel he's going to be shedding a few tears uh, on that. Yeah, it must be hard to walk away for something that's been such a huge success, as you know, as well as obviously it sounds like he's really enjoyed working on uh, The Walking Dead. Yeah, I think it's also just been really immersive, you know, because it's not the kind of show where you're jet-setting around. It's really, it's you know, it's locked in. It's these guys who are just trying to fight off zombies. They filmed the entire thing um, in Georgia just really living in this rural place and you know, he moved his entire life down there. Yeah. Doesn't see his family was when he has breaks, but that's become his home in so many different ways. And this has become his family. And so I think really there's few shows in history that, that have that. And those are the shows I think that, you know, really you never really move on from. Those are the jobs that like kind of, they define part of your heart more so than they define your career. And so I think actors, you know, who have as big of a heart as someone like Norman Reedus, I think you can feel that, you know, this is always going to mean a lot to him. And we're going to see more of The Walking Dead, you know, after the show ends. Um, he's working on a spinoff to continue with his character. So hopefully we're able to, to see more of Daryl for years to come. But it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be The Walking Dead. <laughs> I think you're going to miss it as well, William, by the sounds of things. <laughs> well, all these actors, I know Jeffrey Dean Morgan, you know, they, I think really added something here. Um, you know, really, I think it's, you know, as, as the show has had ups and downs, Really, I think it's the the actors that you keep, it's the characters that you keep coming back for. Mm. And, you know, I think Daryl has always been the best character for me. Okay, that's The Walking Dead then. Now, um, The Green Knight is something else that you want to talk about um, this week. You've been chatting with the director of this. So um, tell me what you found out. So The Green Knight is now available on digital. Um, so you can rent it, you can buy it, you can find it online um, through all of your different, you know, um, video-on-demand platforms. And really, I think it's one of the most original movies of the year. David Lowry is a director who has always turned in really original movies. He did that tremendous, you know, Pete's Dragon remake, the live-action one that Disney did a few years ago that went really underrated, um, The Old Man and the Gun. And here, I think he's turned in his most personal, but also his most unique thing. He picked up this old, old, you know, poem um, from the um, Arthurian era, you know, Sir Gowan and the Green Knight, which is, maybe you read it in school, but, you know, it's the story of this guy who um, falls into a a trap um, by this, you know, mystical figure, whereas a year later he has to go to this location and, you know, basically give his life to this mystical knight. And it's part of his, you know, hero's quest 
And here he brings in um, Dev Patel, you know, who's, I think, one of the best actors of this generation, continues to build strength to strength and turns in something visually arresting and weird and beautiful and just really unlike anything you've ever seen um, in bringing this Arthurian land to life and really making something that feels, you know, otherworldly, but also just feels very plain. Like it doesn't dress it up. You don't have these like flowing golden curtains like you do in a lot of Arthurian stories. It feels very like Game of Thronesy, like kind of grungy, but at the same time, it does have this sort of um, mystical quality um, emanating throughout the entire film. And I think for for David Lowry, the director, and for Dev, you know, the story of this guy who's always just kind of been sitting around, never really doing anything, who all of a sudden has to push himself to become something more and to fulfill his destiny in a, a way that, you know, isn't necessarily the traditional hero's journey. He's not just going to play a dragon, you know, he's going to give his life. Um, so it's, it's really the ultimate act of bravery. And so I think, you know, for David, it was really about, you know, connecting with his own story in order to make this feel as real as possible and to bring this, you know, thousand-year-old story into the, the modern day and make it relevant to people again. And I think they did a beautiful job of that, as he told me. You know, there, it was a very, very fraternal relationship, I think. You know, we both felt at ease with each other. And, and we did talk about that. We talked about the ways in which, you know, the character's journey mirrored his own and the way it mirrored mine. But those conversations were very brief and very early on. I remember when he first got to Ireland, um, he was under the weather. So we didn't get to spend a lot of time together because <laughs> he was just not feeling great. But we, um, we sat down and just went through the script and just talked about it. And we really just, you know, went through scene by scene, which is something you always try to do with, with every film, you know, whether it's a read through a page turn or just discussing it. And, and we kind of just, you know, hashed out where we thought the movie existed, you know, what realm it existed in the way with the tone that he wanted to, the register that he needed to play the character in. And we, and we sort of skirted around the ways in which it was personal to us. You know, we definitely talked about them, but it wasn't like a head on, you know, map making session where we tried to chart out every, you know, tie every step of his journey to something in our own lives. We just acknowledged that it was personal and left it at that. Mm -hmm. And and then that was it. You know, we didn't really spend a terrible amount of time while shooting the movie talking about what it was we were shooting or what we were going to do the next day and what that meant. It was, we just had that baseline level of trust that you always seek to have when you're working with a great actor or any actor and, and go from there. And again, it all just comes out. It comes out in the work, um, whether you talk about it or not. And I'm a big fan of just letting that percolate and letting it rise to the surface and sometimes it surprises me. Sometimes it really catches me off guard uh, when an actor brings something to the table that was far more vehemently personal than I was expecting. And, and the choices they make are far more dynamic than I was expecting. But more often than not, that's what I'm hiring them for. That's why I want, that, I want, to, I want to have that surprise. I want to have that sort of like sense of being the first audience member for the film, watching their performance and watching how they make it their own. So that's The Green Knight then, the director David Lowry talking to William Lally. You're listening to Lunch with Lloyd. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Talking all things uh, movies on the show, we just heard from David Lowry, the director of uh, The Green Knight. Um, William, where can we uh, get to see that one? The Green Knight is on video on demand. So jump on your Apple TV, jump on your your um, CN or Etihad, what have you, all the video on demand platforms. It is available now all across the UAE and the Middle East. 
Okay, uh, that's the Green Knight. Now, I believe you've been talking to a certain dog whisperer. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Are you a fan of the dog? <laughs> I am. I, I loved that show when it first came out. I've not, I've not seen it in quite some time, but, um, yeah, I thought it was amazing, it, you know, how we could kind of um, sort out the, the, the problems and the behaviours of our uh, canine friends. Yeah, I think he's, a, he's just, like, a really unique guy. I think he's got a really good heart, and that really emanates from the show. And I think this is probably the best-natured of any of the seasons that we've seen so far. Like, we have... Um, you know, within the last year, we've had so many different people across the world really, I think, take on um, different dogs they've adopted, you know, either off the street or because they were lonely during lockdown and, you know, really tried to, you know, build a companion in that time. Yeah. But it wasn't easy for everyone, you know, like people were adopting dogs that weren't necessarily ready to be adopted into their homes and people that weren't experienced with dogs. And they had different problems, especially if you're adopting dogs. Maybe they've been abused. Maybe they've been through really bad conditions. And so it takes some acclimating. And people, you know, they don't speak dog. <laughs> they, don't, right. they don't have the ability to, to connect with the dogs and know what's wrong. And so Caesar made a, a new show called Better Human, Better Dog that is about, you know, helping you be your best self and then being able to connect with your dog. And, you know, really going to different people who are struggling with their, you know, their lockdown adopted dogs and helping them out, you know, helping those dogs and those people thrive together. Because really, I think, you know, what's a bigger bond than a dog and its person? Other than obviously me and Mingus, my cat. But other than that, <laughs> dogs, I think, number two to that. <laughs> but of course, you know, I had to ask Caesar, since I did have him, here in the UAE, we have our own unique problems. Because a lot of the dogs that people are um, adopting are, you know, Salukis, they're desert dogs, they're dogs that love being outside, that are used to this environment, that all of a sudden are being adopted into, you know, apartments in, you know, very arid conditions during the summer. Um, you know, so dealing with this climate, I think, has its own unique challenges. And so he gave me a really, you know, I, I think just easy to act upon tip that I've never heard before in a way to help these dogs and help them, you know, thrive in Dubai um, in that environment. And so I think it's really something that people are going to be interested in hearing. You can only give a loving home once you burn the physical and mental energy, yeah. right? Because if a dog doesn't have exercise and mental stimulation, you're giving affection to a frustrated, bored dog. Like you will not be able to receive affection if you're frustrated or bored. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's, it, the hugs don't taste the same. So, so this is where environments like Dubai or like Singapore or Thailand, you know, when it's super hot, it's super humid, and the weather is a factor. This is where the treadmills play a big role, mm. a treadmill, right? Because you still have to burn the energy. Mm. Affection is energy given. So don't give affection if you haven't burned the energy that a dog wakes up with. So in the morning, level 10, your job is to make it zero before you give affection. Yeah. So in, a, in a, environments like, like, uh, like Dubai or like super hot places or even rainy places like Seattle, Washington, what I always recommend is a treadmill, right? Mm -hmm. So every, every, uh, every apartment building, like when I went to Hong Kong for the first time, I saw, wow. This is thousands of, of thousands of people in, in this in this you know right uh, these places, but they don't have an area for dogs. So they have cleaners and the same place. They have a liquor store. They have everything, but they didn't have like a like a like a gym for dogs in that environment, right? So so there is gym for humans, but there is no gym for dogs. 
even the humans can exercise in a hot weather place, but they still exercise in a gym, right? Why do you need a gym? Because you need to burn energy. That's why you need a gym. Not because you need to look good. It's because you need to burn energy. You see it? So, so the solution is there. And, you know, in wealthy places like, like <laughs> Dubai, well, a treadmill is a piece of cake, True. you know, or, or, or to create places where people can bring their dog indoor and practice like a gym. There is no gym for dogs in the world. There is none. Zero. You know, mm-hmm. so this is the next generation. You know, this is uh, the new the new business that is going to happen. There is pet hotels, right? But there is no gym for dogs. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. I think a lot of people are going to be able to use that here. I do as well. I, are you going to be opening a gym for um, our canine friends then, William? Is that a business idea? <laughs> Listen, as long as no one's listening to us. So between you and me... Let's do this. Let's invest in 50-50. Yeah. A, 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 gym, a gym for the dogs. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? And, uh, yeah, he speaks so well, does Cesar Milan, the dog whisperer, and um, just love his shows. Um, just want to bring up a couple of things before I let you go. Um, we didn't – I meant last week to pay a little tribute to Michael Kenneth Williams, who sadly we lost. Uh, I know one of your favorite actors, William. Yeah, and I, I – I was able to speak to him, which I'm so, so grateful for. Um, really, I think just tremendous, tremendous actor, you know, not only in creating Omar, but, you know, across Boardwalk Empire, across yeah. Lovecraft Country, just a tremendous, warm, empathetic actor who was able to imbue a certain spirit in his performances that really no one else could. He just had this, this weariness, but also this, this good heartedness. So he could play, you know, hardened, but he could also play soulful. Um, in a, a balance that you rarely get. And I think losing him is a lot like losing Philip Seymour Hoffman because there's just no one that can replace them. And so, you know, I was, you know, I'm so grateful that I got to tell him what he meant to me, but it's also just, it's such a loss to lose yeah. Michael Kenneth Williams. And, and I really, you know, hope that people can rediscover his work from now on. Definitely. Boardwalk Empire, he was magnificent. And, and finally, just a couple of uh, recommendations for the cinema this weekend, uh, William. Mm-hmm. So, Malignant is the film that I just was able to catch. And Malignant is not a film that I can recommend to everyone, but I think if you're a fan of just really, um, you know, filmmakers who are just having a ball while they're making a film, I think Malignant is just this classic sort of 80s throwback horror film mixed with, you know, Italian giallo, mixed with the best work of Brian De Palma um, that is from director James Wan, who previously did, you know, Saw, um, the, the Conjuring universe. He, you know, just really a dead silence just tremendous, tremendous director, incredibly, incredibly talented. And here it seems like he's just taken all of the, the safeties off. He's taken the training wheels off and he is just making the wildest possible movie that he can. It's just absolutely insane. Um, and I don't want to give away too much because I think it's best to just go experience it. But, you know, it's very, it's, it's melodramatic. It's, it's hammed up. It's just stylistic. And while that's not necessarily for all audiences, I think there's so much fun in watching a filmmaker who is really at the height of his power is just fully putting it all on the screen. And I had so much fun watching this film. I think a lot of other film fans will as well. William, always a pleasure to have you on the show. That's his tip for the week. This is Lunch with Lloyd. On Dubai Eye, 103.8.
Yeah, good afternoon. Now we're going to get a little bit spicy and uh, put some masala into the show as uh, we're talking Bollywood next with uh, Snehame Francis. Sneha, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, Mark. Yeah. Like a bit of masala. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Spice things up a bit, shall we? Oh, we should always. Uh, so we've got a couple of things um, that we're going to be chatting about. I think we're going to get started with uh, Mumbai Diaries. That's right. So this is one's called Mumbai Diaries 2611. And this is an eight episode drama that uh, dropped on Amazon Prime. Okay. Um, just to give you a little background of what this is, this is about the terror attacks that unfolded in Mumbai okay. uh, on 26-11. It, it, I, I wouldn't want to compare, but it was one of those, you know, incidents that are quite, you know, it's vividly etched in yeah, our minds. And yeah. we were here, in fact, uh, and when the horror unfolded in Mumbai, some over three days, like there was, you know, uh, hotels under siege, mm, there mm. were restaurants where, you know, shooters would just walk into it. The sheer audacity, you know, to watch yeah. men wearing rack sacks and guns in their hands, just pumping bullets into just normal, innocent people who were just going about their regular life. So this is not a, a pure fiction. It's not a pure, not real life uh, based uh, events. It's part fictional, part real. And uh, it's centered at a hospital. So basically looking at what unfolded, you know, when yeah. the, the victims were brought in, when, you know, when the terrorists walked in, what happened in that, in that hospital. But my issue with the entire ep- the series is, one, it's brilliantly short. You look at the, the value uh, of the production. You look at visuals, mm. striking, you know, sometimes gut-wrenching, and you, you kind of empathize with it. However, when it's an incident of this magnitude, some that is so recent, some that is so real to a lot of us and etched in our memories, I, 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 I do not agree with filmmakers making it, fictionalizing it. So you kind of question, did this happen? Did this not happen? Was this real? Was mm. this not? And a lot of our thoughts are then confused. You know, it's, and, I, and I almost feel it's manipulative in a way. The, the incidents that unfolded on that fateful day on 26-11 were quite dramatic in itself. So it's almost like, would someone take 9-11 and then fictionalize it? I, I would hope not. Yeah. Um, so that was my biggest, uh, dis, you know, the issue that I had with this series is that there was a dis- constant disconnect and then I had to constantly, you know, push myself to kind of empathize with these characters. Again, one of the hospitals were under attack briefly, but not as dramatic as this, this series uh, kind of shows us. And also, um, a lot of it were fictionalized. So the names have changed. Uh, You know, it was the Taj Hotel that was under attack Mm, in Mumbai. But here it is the Palace Hotel. So a lot of uh, creative liberties they've taken. But again, I feel like it loses the essence of the the issue. Like, this was quite dramatic. Just the sheer audacity with which people lost lives, dear ones. And, you know, and then to just make it uh, fictionalize it, it was just not. Not my so you would have preferred uh, uh, you know, a series, the whole truth. Uh, yeah, the, the whole everything truth. Everything that yeah. really happened that day. I mean, if you are basing it on that, or go ahead, create a fictionalized you know, terror attack in, you know, somewhere in some city and some hospital, and then we want yeah. to... I think I would be more in, invested in that than in this, because I'm like... You're not sure what's you're, real you're, and what's con- not. There's a conflict in that. And, um, and, and again, these are some great visuals, production value. You look at, um, you look at the performances. This is Mohit Raina, who was in the, you know, the lead. There's Konkana Sen Sharma. And a lot of times there are the grenades blown up and yet people miraculously come 
back to life and i feel like okay it's okay in a hindi film but we've yeah. moved on we're in a streaming platform yeah. where we want to consume things that are real we're okay to you know you hit us with the truth and i think that's where i felt that it was too manipulative for me and it kind of i i mean i mm. i lived in mumbai and and i was here at that time when mumbai was under attack and some of the places w- were you know that were under attack were places that i used to visit frequently so for yeah. me i felt cheated All right. Where can, can we see this? <laughs> this is on Amazon Prime and this is called Mumbai Diaries. It's an eight episode series. Excellent. Now, something else we want to talk about is Bellbottom. So, They are the mastermind behind this hijacking. While we wait for the Pakistani diplomats and intel officers. Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and Moscow. ಬಾಲಿವುಡ್ ಟೇಕಿಂಗ್ ದ the hit and he's going to go there and rescue all these hostages so it, for me again it's it's going to be drama masala a lot of spice yeah this one hit the theaters um but now it's getting another run uh, the streaming platform and this one lands today on amazon prime so for those of you who are still reluctant to go out there to the cinemas me for one i yeah. still haven't um i i think and for for one i'm i used to be there first day for a show for years and yet i still struggle with the thought of going there and i just don't feel like it's it's okay anymore so you're lucky that you've got all the streaming platforms to and, and to i think watch this is them, eh? this is going to be the future no mark because i yeah. feel like it's it has to be a good combination you have a run in the cinemas and then you have a, a real life or you know mm. rebirth so to yeah. speak uh, on the streaming platform because the audiences are different you're reaching a lot more people and it's you know the comfort of your couch so yeah. whenever you have time you can do that so this one It's today. So let I'm going to be watching this tonight okay. and hopefully it's going to entertain me. So two then <laughs> that you've come up with this week that are kind of loosely based on the uh, on on real story, yeah on true real stories. stories and you know my take on that so let's hope yeah. akshay kumar has a lot packed in there to impress me <laughs> lovely well thanks for the spice uh, once again have a brilliant weekend uh, sneha real pleasure to have you uh, on the show as always this is dubai i 103.8 you're listening to lunch with lloyd yes and the weekend of course uh, upon us as we speak and uh, right now we're going to talk to uh, mr brunch uh, aj uh, he's got a few great ideas of places that we might want to head out and dine this weekend good afternoon aj how are you i'm great thank you mark good afternoon i've just realized i get so excited speaking to you i like speaking to you anyway but it just means the weekend's here get excited <laughs> i know it's wonderful isn't it and you always have a busy weekend um checking out fantastic places to dine um so what have you dug up for us this week i think we're going to start with st patrick's day 
Uh, yeah, a little bit of a, uh, it's not a typo, it's actually sent practice day. Practice um, day, so <laughs> okay. Practice, yeah. I thought you typed it wrong, and I thought, oh, it's, yeah. it's got to be St. Patrick's, but it's St. Practice. Yeah, so I, I think you'll remember, so obviously the 17th of uh, September is not a really unusual date in itself. However, if you do your maths, it's actually six months uh, to the day of the actual St. Uh, Paddy's Day, which is on the uh, 17th and 18th of March. So, okay. Um, yeah, so the Gettigans, these guys, they did a, a halfway to Christmas brunch on June the 25th. So they're at it again, and they're having a practice run, and they've aptly named it St. Practice Day, and that's tomorrow. Oh, okay, so we're halfway to the next real St. Patrick's Day, but we're going to have a celebration this weekend. Oh, yeah, any, any excuse, definitely. So, um, I mean, what, what can you expect? I mean, you can expect tons of Irish music, uh, loads of green, and obviously plenty of, uh, of crack. And, and they've said that dressing up in green is not just encouraged, it's 100% expected. Uh, and they'll be celebrating absolutely everything from uh, live Irish music. They've got Joshua Tree, who, if you don't know, are the, the premier tribute band to U2. Uh, they have uh, a band called the Gentleman Bar Stewards who do all, everything from Irish pop and folk to, to yep. rock. And they've even got uh, a, a guy called uh, DJ Fergal Darty, who's got the most Irish name I've ever heard. So he has, hasn't it's he? It's a really, really fun game. Yeah, brilliant. So great fun down there. All right. I, I've got to ask you, AJ. I mean, you're a pretty snappy dresser. Have you got yourself a green suit? Uh, so I was uh, actually at the, the, the actual St. Patrick's Day last uh, in March. So I've still got my outfit there. They gave away loads of freebies. So I've got absolutely everything all ready to go. <laughs> Great stuff. So uh, the man in green uh, will be heading out. So uh, what are the timings for this one and what's it going to cost us? It is, uh, and it's keen to, to notice, it's not at all of their branches. This is just at their JLT branch. And uh, it's 12 till 4 and the soft package is 199 and the premium all-in package is 399 So, OK, uh, that's just as you said at the one particular branch there. Now then, Soul Brunch. Uh, I'm a big fan of soul music. This one could uh, be up my alley. Where and uh, what is this one all about? Um, I'm not sure it will be by the end of the, <laughs> the description, Mark. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a fun one, but it's not soul in the way that we both uh, okay. hope. It's a little bit posh it's a little bit bougie i mean it's a fantastic um place it's called it's at aer lounge and, and if you don't know aer stands for uh, an experience to remember um they've got one of the most spectacular bars in dubai it's over 100 feet and the, the views are great it's uh, it's typical disc it's one of your it's one of the most swanky uh venues uh that we can say with great great views over disc and disitani and everything like that and their, and their soul brunch it's, it's got bongo drums and it's everything kind of urban and it's got DJ Scotty B. It's not uh, soul as in we know okay. it. They do throw it in there. Um, but yeah, it, I don't think it's, uh, it's going to be one, one for you. <laughs> okay, so we're not going to be hearing uh, James Brown and Aretha Franklin, sadly. But um, what's it going to cost as it sounds very posh and, uh, as you said, fantastic views? Um, and, and what kind of cuisine are we going to get served up? It's a mixture. So they have everything from Japanese, Italian, a bit of Mediterranean. So uh, if you think of things like these truffle fries and flatbreads, salads, dim sum and lots of tuna and, and tataki. So nice finger food, excellently presented, um, just, uh, just on the upscale side of things as well. OK. And uh, when it comes to uh, our pockets, what's that looking like? 
It is uh, 199 for the soft drinks package, uh, 319 for house beverages, and sparkling is 419. Uh, and important to know that this one's a later start. It's Fridays from three till seven. Okay. Uh, now, finally, we're going to wrap up uh, at Folly um, with our third recommendation. So, uh, brunch away at Folly, AJ. Yeah, and this is this has always been one of uh, one of our long-time favourite restaurants, and and it's now it used to be called Folly by Nick and Scott. And now, um, Nick is still there, Nick Alvis, as the uh, as the head chef and proprietor there. But Scott has uh, unfortunately for the UAE has left to go back to the UK. Fortunately for his young family, but he's left to go back to the UK. So um, this does again. I said it's one of our favourite spots, especially for sundowners. Uh, the food is always. Uh, very well prepared it's informal but it's modern uh, it's crisp it's it's fresh uh, and you can watch everything going in there small but uh, but open kitchen okay um so folly garden brunch are, are we outdoors or indoors for this one uh so um, when we we go it's, it is indoors but they do have an amazing outdoor garden uh, and they have an amazing rooftop as well but as the uh, the weather does cool down in a couple of months or so it will move outdoors but at the moment it, it is an indoor brunch but this one is a definite foodies paradise i mean some of the things that you definitely have to look out for um they have monkfish cheeks with paprika um lamb saddle and you definitely need to get the crispy hens hens egg it sounds quite simple but it's <laughs> to die for. okay uh, so that's folly garden brunch uh, check out that hens egg uh, what are we looking at um price wise there aj uh, on a Friday, it's uh, one till four, and that one's three fifty. Uh, and they also have a Saturday version, which is uh, one till four again. But this one is two fifty, all inclusive. Okay, fantastic. So uh, three options there: Saint Practice uh, Practice Day at McGettigan's, the Soul Brunch at AER, and uh, Folly Garden Brunch. I'll look out for you, AJ, on that with that green suit on, and uh, look forward to seeing um, all uh, all the social media. Talking to social media, where can we follow you guys? Uh, you can follow us on our two platforms, obviously Facebook and Instagram, on at Mr and Mrs Brunch or at Let's DXP. Brilliant, AJ. Have yourself a fantastic weekend and uh, we'll talk real soon. This is Lunch with Lloyd. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Hey, welcome back to the show. Now, today is Malaysia Day, so uh, we thought we'd get um, a real-life Malaysian joining us on the show. And we have Sage Kovavala, who is the co-founder of Jade Restaurant, joining us. Sage, how are you? Hi, Lloyd. I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. So uh, tell me a little bit about um, where you're from in, in Malaysia and, and the kind of cuisine. How would you describe Malaysian cuisine? So actually, I'm from Singapore. Okay. Okay. And um, Malaysian cuisine is very different because it's an amalgamation of uh, Chinese, Indian and Southeast Asian. Right, so it's, it's a real mixed bag, isn't it, yeah. of, uh, yeah. of foods. Um, so yeah. uh, what are some of the, you know, the dishes that um, are, are very, very popular coming out um, of Malaysia? So the most famous one is the beef rendang. Uh, there's sambal prawn. Sambal is a prawn paste, which is spicy. Um, then there's mee goreng. That means it's fried noodles. Nasi goreng is fried rice. Um, there's ice kacang. Uh, there's laksa, which is the noodle soup. Yeah. Um, and there are lots of local desserts called kueh. So there's kueh lapis, there's anku kueh. 
Okay. Uh, I mean, how popular is Malaysian cuisine here in the UAE? I mean, you've got your restaurant, Jade. Um, yeah. is, it, is it a cuisine that's really catching on? Or has it already, you know, cemented its place in the foodie scene across Dubai? I think it is cementing its place. Um, there's, a, there's a huge market here because uh, when it comes to Asian people, no Chinese and Thai. Yeah. But when it comes to Malaysian, you don't have that many restaurants. Or when it comes to Singaporean food, you don't have that many restaurants. Right. Um, now, um, talking of ingredients, um, I mean, do, do you fetch a, a lot of your ingredients from Malaysia itself or are they readily available here in Dubai? They are readily available. Um, but yeah, you have special wholesalers, so you won't get it at your usual car for Okay. Or finish, yeah. Now, I mean, looking at the country, does does the cuisine vary from region to region in, in Malaysia? Yes, yes, of course. The cuisine varies from region to region. It's a big country. Yeah. So what we've done actually for, uh, we're celebrating Malaysia Day and we're launching uh, a special menu, which is just for two weeks. Okay. And what we try to do is get something from uh, each part of Malaysia. So there is a region in the West called Penang, which everybody I'm yep. sure knows. Yep. It's known for its beaches. Yeah, so we have a couple of dishes from there. Then there's a region in the East called Terengganu. Uh, so we have a couple of dishes from there. So it's uh, it's kind of a real taste of the whole country yeah. then that, that, that we're yeah. going to uh, uh, yeah. celebrate there. I mean... Uh, I'm guessing you've travelled to Malaysia and uh, and seen some of the country. What are some of your favourite areas of the, of uh, Malaysia? I love Malacca. Yeah, I've it's been, my favourite. I've been yeah. to Malacca as well. It's uh, it's a gr- absolutely brilliant place. Um, it, it is Malacca. Um, so um, tell me about um, Jade a little bit more, where we can find you in the actual ambience of your restaurant. So Jade is right in the heart of Dubai. It's in front of City Walk across Business Bay near Mazaya Center on Sheikh Zayed. Okay. Um, and we actually started with Thai. Last month, we introduced a few Singaporean dishes. Okay. This month, we're doing a Malaysian festival because we call ourselves Asian. So we are slowly going to evolve into a more uh, dynamic menu from dishes from different countries in Southeast Asia. All right, so uh, you're not just Malaysian then. There's um, a, no. a, a lot of different things um, on that menu. So uh, once again, this yes. is a special um, kind of promotion for Malaysia yes. Day, um, uh, which uh, you're celebrating today. And how long is it going to be running for? It's for two weeks. But Lloyd, what we are offering is something that uh, some of the dishes you don't get anywhere in Dubai. So like the pinang prawn mee is something you don't get anywhere in Dubai. Or there's a dish called Fiobao, which is uh, in Malaysia, actually, they're pork buns. But uh, we have a chicken version of that, uh, which you don't get anywhere here. And then uh, there is a dessert called Anku Kueh, which is like a moon bean uh, dessert, which is eaten for longevity, uh, which is not available anywhere in Dubai. So what we have done is we've got dishes which you don't have in the other restaurants which are offering Malaysian food. Cool. Um, Sounds good. And how are you uh, celebrating Malaysia Day? Is there going to be, you know, any kind of party going on (laughs) tonight? Uh, It's just like lots of locals are coming. We have celebratory flags and obviously the special menu. Yeah. So it's it's just fun. The environment is nice. It's a cozy place. Uh, we have free parking, ample of free parking, unheard of when it comes to Sheikh Zayed Road. But yeah. 
Well, brilliant. And, uh, well, I'll say, uh, Sage, it's uh, been great chatting with you. Happy Malaysia Day um, to you. you. And Lloyd, uh, look forward to having you at Jade. Yeah, why not? Um, me too as, as well. So uh, there we are as we celebrate Malaysia Day, a little bit of uh, Malaysian cuisine. Once again, that was at Sage uh, Kuvavala, the co-founder of, of Jade Restaurants.